Welcome to Catholic Views. I'm your host, Renee Kranz. On today's show, we will have Chris Motes back in the studio. He is the executive director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference. Uh, He's going to be here to talk about the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, because he did a recent column in the Bishop's Bulletin, and so we're going to kind of expand on that a little bit. And it will, when this airs on radio, it will be that particular Solemnities Sunday. So now I already answered one of Chris, Chris Bergwald's <laughs> questions today. <laughs> Cheating. Chris Bergwald is here for some biblical bites with Dr. B first. So I always, of course, if people haven't listened regularly, I usually begin by asking me, Renee, what's today? What Sunday is it? And it's been well, the 30th. Well, it's the 34th Sunday in Ordinary Time. But, but it's also that is the solemnity, the solemnity of, Christ, of, of our of Lord Jesus yes. Christ, King of the Universe. Yes. Um, so, oh, Renee. I told then. Bill before we started, yes, to answer all the questions today. Bill, <laughs> when exactly does the new church year begin? Oh, we've, t- we, no, we've, we've talked, talked about this about last this. Yes, it's like 12.01 Saturday morning. No. <laughs> Is that correct? I don't know. <laughs> where's the where's the buzzer? A look of bewilderment or a look of disappointment? <laughs> that was excitement that I get to give you the. <laughs> um, so the, the, that that's a fair guess, Bill. So looking to next next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, but of course, when do we first celebrate Mass for Advent? What's Sunday the morning. First possible. Well, Saturday evening. So sundown Saturday that's night is when the new church year. Begins so twelve oh one was I think in Sunday, but okay. so that's fair. So that's next fair. year and, and 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 next year is going to be year. I know we'll talk about this next week probably, but uh, ooh. Ooh. is there a year uh, C? Uh, yes, there's a year C. <laughs> I don't know A B C C A is for Matthew, B is for Mark, and C is for Luke. Luke, right? But that's okay. we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Today now you, see, is, now you can't try to trick me next week. Oh shoot! Well, we'll see if you remember because we <laughs> yeah. know how fa- fabulously you know accurate your memory is. There, Mrs. Great. Crane. Ten second Tom. <laughs> uh, we've wasted enough time. Okay. Uh, year B, Mark, Solemnity of Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, Reading One, also known as the first reading. <laughs> Uh, from the book of the prophet Daniel, as the visions during the night continued, I saw one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. When he reached the ancient one and was present, presented before him, the one like a son of man received dominion, glory, and kingship. All peoples, nations, and languages serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion that shall not be taken away. His kingship shall not be destroyed. So in the gospels, there's a title that Jesus uses more than any other for himself. So sometimes um, th- this reference is going to date my, me. Um, sometimes Probably all three Jesus of us goes then. a little Herschel Walker <laughs> on us. <laughs> and he speaks about himself in the third person. Mm-hmm. Her- Herschel Walker is going to get us the Super Bowl back in the <laughs> 80s, Herschel said as a Viking. Um, Jesus talks about him as, himself as the son of man. Right. Now people hear that title. So just a little bit on that title. Um, people hear that title and, and I, well, this is unfair because you might know. <laughs> Renee, might, might. What, son of man, what does that title speak to? What does it mean? Uh, well, that's from Old Testament stuff. And I don't know if I can explain it very easily. 
So it, so it, it refers to David, doesn't it? No, Somehow? Well, no, no, no. Good, okay. So it, it's used here in that first reading that I just read, Daniel, Daniel, which mm-hmm. is Old Testament. But most people, I think, because Jesus sometimes calls himself Son of God. Right. Normally, we would, you know, we would think that well, Son of Man talks about Jesus's humanity and Son of God mm-hmm. about his divinity. Actually, ironically, it's the opposite. In the Old okay. Testament, many people. There are a number of people referred to as son of God. It's not meant that they're divine. So okay. David is called son Just of like God. Just like we're children people, of God. Exactly. Okay. Right, right. But son of man means something. So in the Old Testament, not quite necessarily divine, but something more. So again, this the, the, old, the, the Old Testament prophet Daniel talks about how there's one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. He's He reached the ancient one. He was prevented, presented before the ancient one, and he receives dominion, glory, and kingship. All nations, peoples, languages serve him, etc. So actually is a hint of Jesus's divinity. Okay. So this favorite title of Jesus's is an Old Testament title that talks about somebody who is going to receive the kingship from the ancient one. So, okay. so us knowing now, looking back, understanding the truth of the Trinity. So the son comes before the father and receives the kingship. The son of man is Jesus. The ancient one is the father. And he's going to, he already did, and will definitively at the end of time, receive kingship because he is king of the universe. I don't know if you're done, but I have a question about, they actually, this is not a very old solemnity. Yeah. And they really put this in the right place. Yes, they did. They totally picked the right Sunday. They did. On purpose, I assume. On purpose, yeah. So it's the end, and it's setting us up for Advent. We're going to get to that next year. But it it, it was, yeah, it was the solemnity was moved here after Vatican II, the end of the church year. But it is, to me, a great, like, it's a culmination. It's the climax of the Mm -hmm. church year. He is king, and now we're set up to receive him as the baby. Yeah, I'm so excited for Advent. Amen. Thanks a lot. More next week. (laughs) Yeah. In studio with me today, I have Chris Motes back again. I love having Chris here. Welcome, Chris. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah. Uh, Chris is the executive director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference. And we are going to talk today about the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe today. And people are probably saying, why is Chris Motes here to talk about that? But Chris, this actually applies very well to Chris because there's a kind of political background to how this came about. So, at least to me, it seems like it. So we'll see what he what he tells us. He's looking at me like, I, no, I think that's I don't totally, know if that's really ve- true. No, it's fair. Totally true. Totally true. So um, I invited Chris back on to kind of talk about this a little bit, and he just wrote an article for the Bishop's Bulletin. Let's see. By the time you, yes, I think it's out. It, it is. is. It's in the current November yeah. one. Yeah. Thanks for that. I don't even know what's in there. Um, uh, an article about this particular feast. So if you haven't read it. Go into the November issue and take a look. So, all right, Chris, let's jump in. Um, So this solemnity is celebrated on November 21st. If you're listening on radio, it should be the day that this airs. If you're listening another time, it should be coming up or just past. Um, Can you tell us how this came to existence? Because it's not very old. No, it's not very old. Um, The the solemnity of Christ the King uh, was promulgated about 100 years ago, 1925, by right. Pope Pius XI. Um, and it came about at a time in the world's history that was really a tumultuous time, kind mm-hmm. of. So uh, Pius became Pope in, I think, like 1922. 
And in even then, three years prior to promulgating the feast, he's recognizing in his public writings, in his preaching, like something very, very serious is happening in the world right now. And it's been mm-hmm. happening for some time, kind of going back to the turn of the 20th century. People are maybe familiar with the Cristeros War in Mexico, mm-hmm. a really rabid atheistic secularism that is persecuting the, the church. Mm-hmm. Then the world goes through World War One, mm-hmm. uh, the kind of the war to end all wars, uh, catastrophic, just shock to this right. Christian culture in Europe, and and we're seeing um, too at that time the rise of this really militant Marxism. Um, the Leninists had, had taken power in in Orthodox Russia, and so we're seeing the rise of these really militantly atheistic. Um, ideas across the world Mm -hmm. in ways that are sort of um, not just like ignoring the church or shoving her to the side, but, but really persecuting people of faith um, in, in really active ways. Mm -hmm. So, and Pius is seeing like, actually these atheistic ideologies are beginning to take hold in people. People are rejecting uh, legitimate authority and they, in ways they never have before. And, and the solution um, kind of his pastoral insight there into this wound that the world is experiencing is uh, we need to just claim the kingship of Christ, mm-hmm. sovereign Lord of every aspect of human affairs. Right. And what he means in that, when I say every aspect of human affairs, the reason that you know I, as the director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference, talk about this is, is he means all of our lives, not just our private life, mm-hmm. our public life too. Right. Not just something we do in the confines of our own home, but really in our social life. Yes. That's yes. why we can describe it as a social doctrine right. in a certain sense. Right. Okay, so I have a question for you that just popped into my head. I don't know if we'll be able to answer it. Um, where did Pope Pius grow up? Did he grow up? Was he a European? Oh, and like he experienced all of this as he was growing up and, and so on before he became Pope? That's a great question. I am not an expert in my my papal history. I would have had to brush up on that uh, before. <laughs> I know, I should have asked you ahead of time. You know, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm nearly certain that he's uh, Italian, okay. um, although I, I don't know much about, about his life. You know, Italy has had its own, um, and they certainly would have at that time too. It's just, it's experience with these sort of radical ideologies right. um, with Marxists and then, of, of, of course, yeah, fascism. Yep. You know, we yep. all know the name uh, Mussolini who right. kind of um, grew in power in the years um, leading up to World War II. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like he probably, it's not like he just experienced this just while he was Pope. Right. This was something that you said has been had been coming for a while. So by the time he was Pope, he was probably very much feeling that and led him to that, uh, yes. to create that solemnity. So um, <clears throat> I always find that stuff really interesting because, for instance, John Paul II was very influenced by his years growing up in Poland. Sure. That's kind of why I asked that question. No, 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 great. Um, yeah. yeah, great question. I, I don't know the answer. Maybe we'll find that out and put that somewhere. <laughs> okay. So um, how Pope Pius described this spiritual situation at the time, and I'm hoping you have that quote because I know you had it mm. in your in yeah. your story. Yeah. Okay. So here's what he said. This was, he was writing, this was a letter in 1922. Um, He says, because men have forsaken God and Jesus Christ, they have sunk to the depths of evil. It was a quite general desire amongst, you know, uh, men and women around Mm -hmm. the world. 
that both our laws and our governments should exist without recognizing God or Jesus Christ on the, on the theory that all authority comes from men, not from God. So, and, and he gives some examples when he's talking about this. And again, this is three years before he promulgates this solemnity okay. in, in 1922. And some like very specific examples he gives, uh, marriage. For the first time, marriage is, the emphasis uh, on in law on marriage is that it's, it's just a civil contract. Mm-hmm. And he said, of course, it's a, it's a sacrament. Um, but, but now for the first time, law is beginning to really dismiss the sacred character of what it is. Right, right. Um, he, he goes on to talk about uh, schools and God being excluded from schools uh, uh, for the first time, mm-hmm. really. Um, and, and he also gives the example of something that maybe will sound familiar to our ears in the 21st century, uh, special interests. Oh. Yes. And actually, in this letter, as it's translated, probably from Latin into English, like that's the actual word that's the phrase that's used is special interest. Really? Okay. Sort of just gaining a foothold in government. And of course, you know, special interests, um, we just need to be careful that they're asserting their own interests rather than pursuing the common good. Right. Um, and, and so much of the common good we know through what has been revealed to us by God about right. the transcendent character right. of human life. Yeah. This all sounds really familiar to what's happening yeah. right now. I mean, the marriage issue, um, the schools. Right. I mean, this is this is not a new thing. This has been coming for a hundred years. That's right. And or maybe more. And just building and building and building. And um, we haven't really done anything to change it yet. So there's a real danger to pushing God out of our lives. I think there was a time. Maybe in the 80s, 90s, maybe it came back a little bit. I don't even know. But we seem to continue to do that. We haven't learned our lesson quite yet. So where's the dangers in doing that? Well, and we might not even think about it just because, uh, you know, as uh, children of the 20th and 21st century, we're just sort of steeped in this stuff. Mm -hmm. And if we don't really think about it, we think, well, yeah, marriage is, you know, what what role should the government have really in recognizing that marriage is— is sacred. You know, I believe that, but why should government, you know, say that that is the case for everybody? Or or even, um, it used to be commonplace, even in American schools, for for prayer to be part of of schools. Even into like the 60s stuff, wasn't it? That's right. There was a big Supreme Court case in the 60s um, that banned prayer in schools. And now we don't even really think about it. We're like, oh yeah, that's, you know, okay, that kind of makes sense. We got to be tolerant of everybody. But it's actually, you know, what the faith teaches us, and this is what Pius was really concerned about, is that, you know, it's using schools, continuing with that example, like, no, the purpose of, of schools, the purpose of, purpose of education is to, to form a child. Mm-hmm. And a child has a right to be formed in their relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the duty of, of parents and educators is mm-hmm. to help a child um, develop the fullness of their humanity, which includes all the elements of of reason, you know, the the reading, writing, arithmetic, mm-hmm. but it also includes their transcendent character as as spiritual beings. Also, we right. have a we have an immortal soul. Um, you know, why should we say that? Oh, that's not that's not proper right. uh, for this particular sphere of human human interaction. A, a school? No, that's um, we should really desire that God God be the King of all that we do, yeah, uh, including our public life, yeah.
So you had said in your column, and you just mentioned it a few minutes ago, that this is also a social doctrine. Mm. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, that's kind of me just sort of characterizing it. The social doctrines of the church, we we often think of them, um, and appropriately so, as sort of these pillars of of solidarity, subsidiarity, mm-hmm. uh, human dignity, so on and so forth, um, kind of dating back to the late 19th century, um, Pope Leo XIII writing about uh, a, a kind of a, a big key, uh, pillar of, of the social encyclicals, Rerum Novarum, we're talking about the rights of, of workers, the dignity mm-hmm. of work. Um, but, but some thinkers, I've got actually a, this is a, a I don't want to call it a case book, that's a lawyer thing. It's a reader. Okay. That, that could be used in like a college theology oh, class. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So th- this would be, you know, for a college course in the social doctrine. And actually in this reader is included Quas Primus. Quas Primus oh. is, is the encyclical in which Pius XI um, instituted this solemnity of Christ the King. And, and the reason that it's in this reader is for the reasons that we've already talked about, mm-hmm. is not only is, not only must Christ be the King of our of our of our lives, of mm-hmm. our own hearts, with a you know, there's a there's a certain preeminence we give to the interior life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be completely wrong to say, and I, I think I quote this in the in the the column. Mm-hmm. It would be very wrong to say actually that this is merely a spiritual thing that has nothing to do with temporal affairs, with with civic affairs. Right. Even we can say with political affairs, mm-hmm. Christ is King of all everything. Right. And that's why we can't really, uh, so often you hear, well, the church shouldn't get involved in politics. Mm. And I always cringe when I hear that because while we shouldn't be partisan, yeah. we shouldn't take sides in, in political parties and so on, which is my def- my kind sure. of thinking of what that means, we do have to involve ourselves in politics. You are a perfect example of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, so a couple of points to be made there is Absolutely, yes. The, the church has a role to play in politics. And that's, I mean, even the catechism makes that abundantly mm-hmm. clear, especially when uh, matters of faith and morals are at stake. Right. You know, and and morals, the church's understanding of, of public morality um, completely proceeds from the natural law. So it's right. not like we're using, um, you know, narrowly ecclesial church right. language. Right. We're talking about... Um, uh, natural law arguments that are accessible to to every human person, right. regardless of the faith or, or or lack of faith that they profess, or which faith they profess. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yes, the church has a role to play in politics. The second distinction, or the second point to be made, is when we talk about the church, um, there are a couple of ways to understand that. Oftentimes, we use that that phrase in a way in which we really mean um, clerics or the hierarchy. Right. And they have a more circumscribed role. So bishops, priests, and so forth, they have a more circumscribed role. The political vocation is first and foremost a vocation for the la- for the laity, right? All the baptized, and right. it is proper to describe the baptized, all of the baptized, as the church. Sure, they're part and parcel of of the church. As um, St. John Henry Newman, he was a churchman. He was a cleric. Mm-hmm. He used to say, "We well, you know." We'd look pretty silly without them, meaning priests. <laughs> they would look yeah. pretty silly. <laughs> we actually, we all go to, we're together in this, right? right. So the, the point there is that for, for lay people specifically, it's, we cannot say that get involved in politics, but 
stay away from party politics. Right. Now, we know that no political party perfectly captures the church's right. um, social vision. Right. Um, but it's it's okay if a person feels called, if a layperson feels feels called to be involved mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a political party, go for it. Right. Bring your faith with you. Yes, I was just going to say that. Bring yeah. your faith with you, please. That's our first loyalty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you just joined us, we're talking to Chris Motes uh, about the solemnity of Christ, King of the universe. Um, okay, so how is this connected to religious liberty? Because I, I have a feeling it is, to a degree at least. Yeah, I, I think that's it's good to make that point because— it's like, okay, well, what does that really have to do with, with liberty? Right. The, the bishops of the United States, about, well, it was 2012, um, the U.S. Bishops Conference started to give a renewed focus to religious liberty. Mm-hmm. And the context for that point in time, um, the Affordable Care Act was going through Congress, mm-hmm. um, right. it, commonly known as Obamacare, for just to trigger our memory. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, so 2012. Oh, yeah, that thing. <laughs> yeah, that thing. And, and the bishops, the U.S. bishops— were generally supportive um, of it, but they had some real concerns that it it put a heavy burden on our religious freedom in some very serious ways right. by mandating contraceptive coverage right. in certain cases. So they they began to to talk more about religious liberty, and they um, they put out this really beautiful pastoral letter. Um, it's called "Our First Most Cherished Liberty." Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that they they point out in the letter, um, I mean, they they kind of beautifully and rather succinctly unpack some of our own history as Americans with right. this with this liberty. It's really important. Mm-hmm. But then they when when they encourage us to pray for the preservation of religious liberty in our country, they highlight this solemnity in a particular oh, way. Okay, and they they specifically tie it. To the fact that this feast was born in 1925 when it was promulgated, it was born out of resistance to what they call totalitarian incursions Mm -hmm. against religious liberty. Mm -hmm. So these totalitarian impulses in government that were really oppressive to faith. Right. Um, And so the response in 1925 to push back against these totalitarian incursions was to claim once once more in a renewed way, Christ is king of everything, mm-hmm. the whole universe. So they they make that link for us, even almost 100 years later, mm-hmm. as being a really important feast. Yeah. It's kind of the, I just, just popped in my head, the you're not the boss of me, he is. That's right. <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that really is something we have to keep in mind that uh, Jesus, God, is the one who's in charge of everything. That's right. The government has its role. Yes. But- God is in charge of it. Yeah, and to, and to be clear too, the um, within the the teaching is not a rejection of temporal authority. Right. Temporal authority, um, civic government is a is a great is is, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it has to be oriented. It has to pursue the common good. That's its right. purpose. And the common the common good includes the spiritual transcendent destiny of mankind. Right. And that destiny includes Christ as our right. King. I think we forget that sometimes that it does include that because yes. you're just thinking about well, everyone needs to be fed and everyone needs to be clothed and everyone needs a job and whatever. Yes. But it, it, that spiritual part was always part of it. That's and right. Just in the last hundred or so years, it's really become kind of pushed to the side. That's right. So yeah, you know, and that was something that Mother Teresa really recognized too in her work in our country. 
of course, she's famous for for feeding the poor, mm-hmm. for caring for the sick, um, for going to to those at the furthest margins of society. Um, but she said, "America, you're the poor ones, actually." And she was right. talking about a spiritual poverty, right? Right. So, yeah, that's totally true. Yeah. Um, how, are there some ways we should honor Christ the King in our public life? Then we got to be. I mean, I think one element. So first and foremost, we have to let we have to let Jesus be the King of our own hearts. Mm-hmm. In order to be serious about our public life and the role of of Christians, the role of Christ as King in the world, we have to first be serious about our interior life. Mm-hmm. If we haven't just submitted ourselves to Him, uh, if we haven't given our hearts to Him as our as our King, uh, as our leader, um, that's that's the first step. Yeah. Um, the second step, I think, is to be really. We don't have to be ashamed uh, right. in the public realm. You know, here in the diocese of Sioux Falls, we've got the. Um, um, something that came to mind as I was thinking about this is Catholic Men's Business Fraternity. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, great. They're awesome. Great, they are, great group <laughs> of men. But they've got this little cross, this little lapel pin. Mm-hmm. They just own it. Yep. Here it is. Yep. This is my boss right here. I'm wearing this lapel pin. And they're they're like seeking the good every day in their, in their work as businessmen, which is fundamentally a secular endeavor. That's so, right. which is appropriate and good. Um, but they're just, I, I love how, there's this element of of unabashed claiming mm-hmm. of their identity first and foremost as as baptized disciples of Christ. Yeah. So, um, in our hearts, claim Him as Lord, and then second, let's not be afraid to to share it and and own it. Yeah. In public yeah. life, own your Catholic faith. Own it in front of everybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, we have about a minute or so left. Is there something that we miss or we should know about um, this feast day? You know, um, one thing I want to mention, Renee, yeah. is we've got this treasure that we call the Beacon of Hope. It's our cathedral. Mm-hmm. So I want to encourage listeners, next time they're at the cathedral, they're visiting, I want you to go back into the Sacred Heart Chapel oh, yes. in the back. And I want you to just sit down in the peace and quiet for five minutes before the tabernacle. And I want you to contemplate the image that is behind the altar. Mm-hmm. I'm like getting goosebumps just like I know, I, I thinking about totally it in my mind that. right now. Yeah. It's an image of Christ the King. Mm-hmm. He's seated on a throne. Above he, the tabernacle. Above yep. the tabernacle. Um, he's His heart is revealed. It's a burning heart of love. And he's sort of, his mantle, he's wearing like this old mantle, we can call it, an old robe. And mm-hmm. it's, he's sort of cast it off on the, the throne behind him so that we can behold his heart of love. Mm-hmm. And with his with his hands, um, he's pointing to that heart of love, and he's blessing us. Right. He's commissioning us mm-hmm. as as his disciples, and he's surrounded by these saints mm-hmm. that are that that mirror reflect mirror and reflect uh, his heart of love as king. We're called to be these saints that right. are just there right. and forth. So. Go go into the Sacred Heart Chapel and contemplate. That's a great suggestion. I love that chapel and that mural is just you could sit there and look at it all day and it's see amazing. new things, I think. Yeah. <laughs> great suggestion. Thank you for being here with us to tell us about this feast. Um, and like I said, if you haven't read it yet, grab the November bulletin and uh, take a look at it. Um, Chris always has some wonderful writing and and so on in there. And I'm so glad you're in peer. Uh, talking to people all the time for us because the church needs her voice heard Mm. more often. So thanks for being there too. Thanks, Renee. Thanks. 
All right. If you uh, want to listen to this show as a podcast, you can find us at Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple. You can also see us on video at YouTube at SF Diocese. That is it for us today. Hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic Views. Mm-hmm.